Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. This is a psalm that has been treasured by the Church of Jesus Christ since it began, almost, uh, I mean, almost back since Acts chapter 2, maybe even before that, uh, early church leaders from the first two centuries, um, they made a decree that this song should be sung every single day, corporately, that the church, every day, they would gather together and that they would sing Psalm 63. We don't know the tune, so we're not going to do that tonight. Maybe I can commission Tommy or Karen or somebody. You can, you can find a tune for this or Megan, but um, we know the words, and we'll study at least the lyrics together. Huh? Yeah, I mean, and a lot of Presbyterians say so. They have psalm hymn books. They do. Yeah, a, a lot of times. I mean, we have some in our handbook that are made. But I don't know that there is one that I've ever heard for this one, though. But there was at some point because they sung it in the early church there. Um, one of those church leaders, I'm, we're talking like first century here, living around the same time as Paul. His name was John Chrysostom. And uh, he said that in this chapter, the spirit and the soul of the whole book of Psalms. It can be contracted right here. We're going to find, in God's truth right here, we're going to get a significant sense of God's message to us in the whole hymnal, the book of the Psalms. And so if we look at this superscript there, it's a short one this time, that little section right under uh, the Psalm number. It says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So that's of David. He's the human author that God inspired to write every word. And then we get a little bit of the historical context that inspired uh, this psalm of the when and the where. There's a couple of times that David was in the wilderness of Judah. Um, When he was fleeing from Saul, he went out there. Later on, much later in his life, when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom, when there was a coup attempt, he went out there as well. What we know We don't know which one of those this was written about. What we know is that David was in the wilderness. Both of those times, he's on the run in fear uh, for his life. Both of those times, he was away from the tabernacle. Um, the, The place where it was easiest for David to get a sense of God's presence. A place where it was easiest for him to worship God and to have his faith fueled. But David's current location here in the wilderness, it doesn't stop David from placing his faith in God. Even in that circumstance, it doesn't stop him from praising God for his goodness. Let's read it together. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. 
to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, and thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we study this together. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this evening, uh, I pray that you would quicken in us, awaken in us the same passion that uh, David exemplifies here, testifies of. I pray that if we don't have that same level of passion right now, that by the time we get done studying this together, we leave out of here with it. So necessary, Lord. Um, it's, it's such a, a necessary thing in order for us to fulfill the commission you've given to us as Christians, as your church. And so we ask you to use your Holy Spirit and apply in this word to us tonight so that we can have the power that comes from having the same passion David has here in Psalm 63. In Jesus' name, amen. We really don't have a, a fear, facts, faith outline. There's really not much fear here at all uh, in, this, in this one. What we've got in verses 1 to 6 is we see David's passion for God's presence. And, and I want to say passion, we're talking about a love. He had a love for God more than anything else. And so whenever I use that word tonight, this is what we're talking about. It's not just a cute little uh, alliteration thing where we, the P's match in point one and two. David had a passion. He had a love for God more than anything else. That was evidenced in how he sought God. And it will be for us as well. We can say we love God. But is it evidenced by how we seek God? Look at verses 1 through 3, beginning in verse 1. Oh God, thou art my God. I don't want to look over. I want to stop right there. I don't want to go beyond this because at first glance, this might just appear to be the beginning of a prayer. That's usually how we pray, right? We might say, Lord, or dear God, or Heavenly Father, and we, we would be wrong if we thought that was all that this is. What does David say here? Oh God, you are my God. If there is one thing that this psalm is about, if there is one thing that this psalm highlights and, and holds out to us, it's this. Uh, it is a priceless value to have a relationship with God. Uh, to David, God was not just some impersonal force that was off in the distance. Uh, yes, all-powerful and, and sovereign and in control, but maybe not altogether relevant. David's God is his God. David's God, he says, he is my God. This is my God. He's relational. 
God asked his people through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, 23, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord? And the answer is yes. And not a God afar off. Our God is a relational God, a God who is present, who is near to us, who is available to us. He's a God who desires to have relationship with us. I can never get past the awe when I think about that. Uh, he went to great lengths to provide relationship with us, didn't he? I mean, that's evidenced, exemplified in, in who he is for us in Jesus Christ. He wanted relationship with us so bad that when we rebelled against him and we called a, caused a, a chasm in our relationship with God, he bridged that chasm with the cross of Jesus Christ. That's a great length that God went to restore relationship. And, and so David continues his prayer here. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. Now it's King James Version. I know some other modern versions, they say earnestly will I seek, seek thee. Uh, the Hebrew word translated there, it, it can mean early or it can mean earnestly, as in intentionally or passionately I seek thee. I don't know whether it's early or whether it's earnestly, whether David's choice of words here was to communicate something about the hour we're to seek God or the power with which we should seek God. Um, if you're like me, this much is true. If I'm seeking God early, I am seeking him earnestly. I've told you before, I'm not much of a morning person. It, it takes me a while to get my joints loosened, to get this motor running and this motor uh, running in the morning, but I can testify to you that if I do not seek God in some manner right away in the morning at the beginning of my day, I'm not going to have a very pleasant or productive day. I'm not telling you you need to get into in-depth Bible study, but there's got to be something. That's just my personal testimony. Um, look, we're all different. God made some people uh, morning people, some people night owls. Uh, I tend to save my more in-depth Bible study for any time after 9 a.m., uh, preferably even later on in the evening when I'm more cognizant. Uh, but there are, there's usually between one and three devotional resources I use every day, every single day before I get started. They don't take long. They don't take long, but I, my day would be really bad without them. My day would be really bad if I didn't meet God right away, if I didn't seek God early, like David uh, is testifying of here. The, uh, if I don't, if I won't, the quality of my day without question suffers. Look, we have so many resources to us available now. I got so many things to complain about, about this thing right here, but it has a lot of good stuff in it too, doesn't it? A lot of good stuff. I mean, three of those things are right here. Some of them I share with you on Facebook and things like that because they've been a blessing to me. I use them every day. We've got devotionals. We've got online tools. Um, our church has open windows. You can get daily bread. If you don't like these things, you want the hard copy, you've got that. We, we, we have podcasts we can listen to on our commute. There is, is really zero excuse for not seeking God early. Or earnestly, at least in some manner and method. And then look at the rest of verse 1. Um, David there provides the reason he has committed to seek God early and earnestly. He says, because my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David had such a love for God. He needed to see God. He needed to experience God's 
presence, his soul, his flesh, a desire God's presence. There's this thirst and there's this longing for a relationship with God in David's heart. And let's remember the context here. What did that superscript say? Where is David when he's thinking all these things, when he's inspired to pen these? He's in the wilderness, all right? He's in the wilderness. Um, he's in a dry and thirsty land. Probably what poetically brought this into verse 1 here. Uh, he's in a land where there's no water. And do you see that David's physical circumstances, they make him aware of his spiritual context. Just as bad as he needs water right now out there in the desert, he needs God. Maybe even more so. And that's a lesson for us. We haven't even got out of verse 1 here. There's a lesson for us right off the bat. A lesson about why God might allow us to be in the wilderness. Maybe God even sent us into the wilderness. You know, sometimes we get too busy. We get too distracted. Life has a way of making us forget what is essential, what I need more than anything. And often, an uncomfortable physical location can remind us of our unequivocal spiritual obligation that we need God more than anything else. We need relationship with God. We need God's presence. Look at verse 2. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. So David's describing what he longs for about God's presence. He, he misses that visual display that he used to see of God's power and God's glory. That was something that was evident right there in the tabernacle. Right next to David's palace, right where he used to live. David had proximity to God's presence right there. And I wonder if David thought about how many times he had taken that proximity for granted when he was singing this song out there in the wilderness. wonder how many times he was like, man, I just took for granted worshiping with God's people, sensing God's presence among his people like you do, uh, as opposed to when you're just having a time by yourself with God. And, and look, we need to be cautious that we don't ever take our proximity to God's house for granted either, uh, that we don't ever forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Because there may come a time, and I think we got just a little taste of that in the last year, there may come a time when we find ourselves without it. We find ourselves in the wilderness wishing, man, you know what? That golf trip wasn't worth it. You know, I ain't picking on golf. There's about 50 other things that we could plug in there, right? It just wasn't worth it. I shouldn't have taken it for granted. But, but even in this wilderness location, David commits to praise God. He says, I, I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. What are you talking about? God's glory. You know what that is? It's just God's beauty. David longs. He loves God's beauty. That's what drives everything else he does, his praise, his devotion to God. That's what's got to drive ours, too. It's, it's cyclical. It is. Um, like, look, if you don't have a love for God or if you need to refresh or quicken your love for God, guess what you need to do? You need to get in God's Word. <laughs> That's what's going to do it. But if you just go to God's Word out of duty and out of, you know, it, it's not going to be long before you're not refreshed. God, a love for God has to drive you going to his word. And going to his word is going to drive a love for God. It's almost like a perpetual 
motion machine, you know, that we've always been trying to make. You don't need energy, it just it's self-propagating. And David longs for this. Uh, look at what he says there in verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. So even in this wilderness location, he is committing to praise God. That's what faith does. It doesn't say, well, I'm only going to praise God when things are going well, when I'm in the tabernacle. Out here, he says, your loving kindness, it is better than life. Uh, faith erupts in praise. This song right here, Psalm 63, it is a volcano of praise about God's virtues. This isn't hyperbole, what he's saying in verse 3. He is saying, my relationship with you is more important to me than life itself. That's what David's saying. Your loving kindness, your chesed, your grace, your covenant uh, relationship that I have by faith with you, knowing that I'm saved, I am yours forever, that I have a, a home in heaven one day. This eternal relationship we have, it is better than life. David praises God for that. It's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. This Sunday, we're going to be studying uh, a message of Jesus where he did use hyperbole to, to get us to understand how serious sin is. David's not here. He's literally out there because there is a threat against his life. People are trying to kill him. And he says, don't care. You're better. Our relationship, it's more important than my life, God. You know, he says, I'm going to praise you. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Again, where is David? He's out in the wilderness. That'd be a normal place, a very understandable place for prayer. But what about praise? I mean, do we see God's loving kindness, the, the relationship we have with him through faith in Jesus, do we see it like David does, as better than life, better than even life going on, worth losing our life for? Because that's the message of Jesus. We, we saw that back in Mark 8.35. He said this, whosoever wants to save their life, you're going to lose it. But whoever will, will lose their life for, for me and for the gospel's sake, the same will save it. Jesus says right there in Mark 8.35 that the relationship with God through faith in Jesus, it is better than life. That's what David's saying. What a cause for praise. No wonder David was praising, even out there in the wilderness. When you have a relationship with God, when you've been saved, when you've been born again, you've got everything you need. That's what David is telling us here. It's a cause for praise, even in wilderness experiences. I should say maybe especially in wilderness experiences. And then look at verse 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I'm going to lift up my hands in thy name. So David says, this is how. That's what thus means. This is how. This is how I'm going to praise you, God, because this is how you want to be praised. Thus will I bless thee, God, while I live. I'm going to lift up my hands in thy name. Now, is David saying that if we don't lift our hands here in church that we're not worshiping God like he wants to be worshiped? I hope not, because I didn't see any of you doing it. All right? <laughs> I wasn't doing it either. No, I don't, I don't think that's his intent. Uh, nothing wrong with doing it. We have examples of doing that in the Bible. But when we couple this verse with other verses, especially in the Psalms and with other places in the Old Testament, I think what David is talking about here is not so much this, and again, there's nothing wrong with this, however God moves you, but what David's talking about here is, is way more of this. It's this. 
This is how you want to be worshipped, God, with me coming to you like this. So this is how I will bless you while I live. As long as I'm alive, this is how I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm going to come to you like this. What is this? This is a position of what? Receiving, neediness, dependence. That's how you want to be worshipped. It's a little confusing for us. Because if we want to be blessed or thanked for something, maybe we did something nice for someone and we want to be thanked. Probably the way we like, man, like a thank you note, a phone call, just a simple thank you. I don't know that we would want that person to keep coming to us, right? It's a little different with God. That is what God wants. That's how God is worshipped. That I, I'm needy, Lord, my whole life long. I'm never going to stop being needy. And, and I'm going to magnify you, not myself. I'm going to lift up my hands in your name. That's how I'm going to come to you in a position of, of receiving you. And the reason I think that is we're about to get into the next couple of verses. It's going to fit right into what David is saying, not just about God's presence, but about God providing for him and about David being satisfied in God's presence and provision and even protection coming up later. But look, I can't help but think of that O him rock of ages. It's one of my favorites, but second or third verse. What does it say? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I claim. Do we bring God anything when we come to him for salvation? Just faith. Just faith. We, we come empty-handed, needing him. Stay there. Stay, keep your hands raised. That's what David's telling us to do here. Stay needy. That's how you worship God. We praise God as he wants to be worshiped when we come to him with outstretched, lifted up hands. That's what Paul told the, the people in Athens when he preached there in Acts 17, 25. He said, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. In fact, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If you have it, if you're breathing, if your heart's beating, it's from God. You're not bringing him anything, but praise and worship by saying, I need you. That's how God wants to be worshiped. Look, we praise God when we see him and what he provides for us as our satisfaction. Look at verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When we seek God early or earnestly with outstretched needy hands, uh, we will receive him. We will receive his goodness to us. And we'll receive it with serious satisfaction. That is what David says there. As with marrow and fatness. Now, what David's saying, we might lose it in, in cultural uh, differences here. He's saying, God, you give me the best. You give me the best portions. That's marrow and fatness. I don't know if any of us would go to our favorite restaurant and order marrow and fatness. That's what it was for David. I mean, this is the, the nicest item on that menu at the nicest restaurant. God, that's what you give me. You satisfy me with the best portions. This is a feast. <laughs> when I have your presence, when I have this relationship with you, when I experience your loving kindness, it's better than life. Yeah, I'm satisfied. It is a banquet table that you have laid out for me in this dry wilderness. He's still there. Look, when we come to God longing to experience his presence and his provision, that's what God lays out for you, even out there in the wilderness. And then what David said back in that beloved Psalm 23, where did God satisfy David in that chapter? With his presence, with his provision. Where does it say? You prepare a table 
before me, where? In the presence of my enemies. Not when they're gone, right there, when they're throwing stuff at me, speaking evil of me. Not when I'm back in the palace, no. Not when I'm back in the comfy confines of home. I'm out here in the wilderness, in the presence of my enemies. When God, when God is your satisfaction, when his presence and his provision uh, are his provided answer for a heart that seeks him early and earnestly, look, even the wilderness can be a pretty luxurious place because he's providing for you. He's going to give you everything you need. It's a place where all that matters, everything that matters in life, it's right there. And all the things that don't, all the things that distract us so often, they fade away. It can be a good place to be. You know, morning is not enough for David. And what? I'm going to meet God for a moment in the morning and then not continue to experience that blessing the whole rest of the day. What does he say there in verse 6? When I remember thee on my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. David testifies of remembering God. That means to think about intentionally and meditating on him. Um, That's even more than remembering. Uh, A lot of our sleepless nights that are filled with worry and anxiety, I think they'd be resolved if we just would follow David's prescription for insomnia right here. Turn it over. I struggled with it before when we were up in Wisconsin. I was working in a ministry, um, and it was stressful, kind of management stuff, a lot of people not showing up, you know, scheduling and all this. And uh, I I had a Christian doctor. It's a blessing to have a Christian medical doctor. And I went to him, and I told him, he said, Jason, you know you might have some chemical things going on. I'm going to give you a prescription for this anxiety medicine, but I'm only going to do it if you'll do this too. You've got to do both. I want you to take a notepad and a pen right there to bed, and as you lay down to go to bed, I want you to write down everything that's going through your mind right now, and maybe even a few things that you think might come up when you lay down. I want you to write them down. And then before you lay down, I want you to put that there and like you're physically giving it to the Lord. You're physically, like literally, I wrote it down. I'm casting all my cares upon him, not just so oh, that's a nice verse there in First Peter. No, I'm really doing it. Not just that, but he also told me to make a list about who God is and what God has done in the past and how he's handled things like this in the past for me and how he's promised to handle like things in the future for me. And I can lay down and go to sleep because I don't have to solve it. He's for me. He's going to take care of me. I think that's what David's saying here, isn't it? I mean, that's what he says in everyone. How do we leave fear and get to faith? We focus on the facts, who God is, what God's done, what God has promised to do for us. Maybe... Our day would be better, and maybe our sleep might be more peaceful if the first and last things we turn to every morning and every night, maybe if it wasn't Facebook or something else, but it was this book. Is there a possibility? Life would be a little different, a little less problematic. Remember, think about intentionally, just like my doctor advised me to. I will meditate. (laughs) That's going to even bring a a more sweet experience of God's presence and uh, provision than than just mere remembering would. Now, second half, verses 7 to 11, David is now passionate. He just loves God's protection. He's passionate about that. First of all, our salvation in verse 7, because thou hast been my help 
Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. God had been David's help. He has this long track record of God coming through for David. You all mentioned it, I think it was last week. Went back to before Goliath, the, the bear, the lion, then Goliath. And then his, his whole life was a history of God being his help. The word in Hebrew for help is Ezrath. Job used that very same word in his affliction in Job 6.13. He said, I have no help. I have no Ezrath in myself. Neither do we. But God does. God is our help. Uh, David prayed back in Psalm 44.26. Arise for our help. For our Ezrath, O God, redeem us, Lord, for your mercy's sake. Who redeemed us? God did, but through who? Jesus on the cross. Do you know how I tell you to look for Jesus in the Psalms? Man, he's all over this one. I haven't even mentioned it so far. Way back in verse 1. O God, thou art my God. That first God is Elohim, plural. It's where we get the idea of the Trinity, even in the Old Testament. It's a plural name for God, so it's got to be talking about more than one person. Oh, Elohim, you are my Eli. That's what it means. So plural and singular. Jesus is there along with the Holy Spirit in that very first phrase. What about verse 3? Your loving kindness, your chesed, your covenant love. The only reason any of us know God's covenant love to us is through Jesus Christ. For those in the Old Testament, it's through a coming Messiah. For us, it's through a Messiah who came and who's coming again. Here in verse 7, he is our help. If we have any help at all from God, it's only through Jesus Christ. And we can rejoice where? In the shadow of his wings. Does that sound familiar to anything Jesus said? Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, you stoned them that I've sent to you. You know how often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers little chicks under her wings, but you would not. Are you willing to stay? Right here, to rejoice right here. That's where God wants you. He wants you to stay put here. He wants us to stay in relationship with him, experiencing his presence, experiencing his provision and his protection, his, his salvation to us in Jesus Christ, to stay under the shadow of his wings. Are you sometimes darting out to look for satisfaction, joy, or happiness anywhere else? Let me tell you what God says is out there. It's dry, wilderness, wasteland, danger, destruction, death. That's what's outside of the shadow of his wings. So stay where he wants you. Stay in relationship with him. Stay put, remain in his presence. Enjoy all that he is for us in Jesus. Joy is not out there. It's under here. It's right here in Psalm 63. It's in relationship with God. Then look at verse 8. My soul followeth hard after thee. Verse 8 is the verse 1 of this section. What did David say in verse 1? My, my soul seeks you early. It seeks you earnestly. I'm thirsting and longing for you. He says, my soul follows hard after you, God. That is such a powerful phrase. I think it's one of my favorites in all of the Psalms. This faith that has been erupting in praise about God's presence and provision is also a faith that passionately pursues God's protection of us in Jesus Christ under his wings. Have you ever had anyone follow hard after you? Most of us don't like that when that happens. Sometimes I'll be following my wife around a store where I don't know where I'm going, like Hobby Lobby or something, and I'll step on the back of her flip-flops. She don't want me following so hard after her, right? Someone, someone who's right on your heels, maybe a person who was not blessed with the social grace of respecting personal space. 
We don't like it when they do that. But that's what God's describing here, and he wants us to do that. He wants us to follow hard after him, so hard that footprints are right behind his. I needed to do that. I told you a couple weeks ago when I went turkey hunting with David Allen, it was mid, I mean, it was like four in the morning, five in the morning. We got out there. David said, there's a canal here. And he laid these two planks across and, and they went underwater a little bit, but they kind of connected. And we, I said, okay, I have my little headlamp on and wherever David stepped, I stepped. Now nine o'clock came, we were going to another place. And he said, let's try over there. And then, oh, I, it's light. I don't need to worry about it. Glunk, glunk, glunk. <laughs> I did not follow hard after David. I thought I had it. I didn't think I needed his guidance and his leadership. I thought I could make it on my own that time. I could not. That was clear. And David closes verse 8 with this. Your right hand upholds me. Look for Jesus in the Psalms. Is he here? Where is Jesus right now? The right hand of God. So often we find that phrase in the Psalms. And your right hand upholds me. David didn't even know Jesus as the Messiah. He just knew that there would be a Messiah one of his descendants, and he's already pointing to that prophetically inspired by God. Your right hand upholds me. Colossians 1.17, talking about Jesus. God inspires Paul to, to tell us this, that he is before all things. Jesus is before all things. And by him, all things hold together. That's Jesus. Your salvation, that's Jesus. Your protection, your next breath, Jesus. Your next heartbeat, because of Jesus. Do you remember that video we watched on Sunday night a few months ago from Louis Giglio? What literally, Colossians 1, 17, by him all things hold together. The reason you are all here in form is because your cells are being held together by a protein called laminin whose molecular structure is the shape of a cross. Jesus is our protection. Your right hand upholds me. It holds together. <laughs> David's saying the same thing Paul says in Colossians 1 to 17. He's our security, verses 9 to 11. If there's any kind of fear section, it'd be right here, verses 9 and 10. But those that seek my soul to destroy it, they shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. There'll be a portion for foxes. It's pretty strong language. Um, but I got to be honest, David, in talking about his enemies, the, the earthly cause for why he is out in the wilderness, it doesn't seem like he's altogether too concerned about them, does it? Compared to other Psalms where you might have four, five, eight, ten verses right at the beginning about how worried he is and, and how fear is plaguing his heart because of what they're doing to him. After eight verses, highlighting all about God and who God is for him, how God is present how God provides for him, a banquet table, how God protects him, how God upholds him. Well, you know what? Yeah, after eight verses of all of that, um, there's not a whole lot of fear left to deal with. We get these little statements here in verses 9 and 10. Do you understand that what demands our focus, what you and I choose, what we choose to fixate on, that is going to drive our responses in life. It's either going to fuel your faith is going to drain your faith. One of the two. What you choose to focus on and fixate on. When God and all he is for us in Jesus Christ is what we're going to meditate on early and earnestly and on our bed, well, there's not a whole lot of time for fear to take root in your life. Verse 11, David closes this no fear, just faith song with a final commitment for faith, and he encourages us 
to follow his example. But the king shall rejoice in God. That's a powerful statement. Whether he was running from Saul because he wasn't king yet, or whether he's running from Absalom because he had just been deposed as king. So what is David saying when he says, but the king shall rejoice in God? I'm going to be king again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I don't have to worry about what they're threatening. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to believe what you say, God. The king shall rejoice in God. There can be joy even in the wilderness. That's what David's saying. When we choose to follow David's example in Psalm 63, there can be joy even in our wilderness experiences. You know, Elizabeth Elliot is um, a missionary. A wife of a, a missionary who lost his life on his first mission trip. You might have heard of Jim Elliott and the other men who were with him. They went to the Aka Indians back last century. I think about the 50s, right? 50s or 60s? 50s. And um, yeah, a lady that's got some credibility when it talks to having joy and peace in Jesus, wouldn't you say? Because she's, she's gone through some things. Went with her husband in the mission field and right away. The people they're trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they kill her husband and her friends. And she goes back to them. Um, this is what she says in her book, A Quiet Heart, about peace and joy, when we find ourselves in wilderness places. Because she's been in them. She's been in them. She says this, The secret is Christ in me, not me in different circumstances. David's out here in the wilderness. And the secret it's Christ in me. Christ upholding me. That's what he just said. Joy is possible in the wilderness. Joy from passionately pursuing God's presence for his protection to us in Jesus Christ. Swearing by God. Said there in verse 11. The king shall rejoice in God. David says, this is what I'm going to do, but you need to do it too. Because he says right there, everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. When it says sweareth by God, that's a way of saying in the Hebrew that, that Jesus is your only source of security. If that's what you believe, that's faith in Jesus Christ. That's saving faith in Christ. That Jesus is your only source of security. Not, not being back in the palace, not being free from affliction or trial, just being in Jesus and Jesus being in me. Can I close with the words of our Savior to us? John 16, 31. In this world, you are going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. But don't fear. Don't fear. I've overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Are you in a wilderness tonight? If you're not, it's probably because you just came out of one. And unless Christ returns or takes us home, we're probably going to be going in one. Maybe even soon. So what will you do? Be great to have, like Daniel had, the purpose in your heart. Make that decision before it even comes. Will you commit to follow David and what he did here in Psalm 63, following Jesus, seeking him early and earnestly, as if nothing else mattered as much? Because it doesn't, really. That's the message here. There's nothing better you could be doing than seeking Jesus. But will you follow hard after him, starting your day, ending your day in communion with him, hearing from him and his word, find some way to do it again. There's times when, you know what, I want to have my devotions and I can't. Like my, even my nighttime ones, the ones that really get into it. Something happens. Somebody calls. I've got an emergency I've got to take care of. Will I, will I make time to go get it again? Is it that important to me?
Will you stay under the protecting shadow of his wings? I asked Tommy and the praise team to come up or whoever's going to sing. But look, the, um, the next time Satan says to you, you're under the shadow of his wings. The next time Satan says to you, hey, why don't you venture out? Because some supposed satisfaction is here or it's over here. What are you going to tell the devil? You know what David told him here tonight? Uh, I'm good. I'm going to stay put right here. I'm satisfied. That's what we just sang a little while ago. I'm, sa- I'm satisfied being upheld by Jesus. So let's, uh, let's praise the Lord in the last two songs with faith, with trust, and, and that we are satisfied in him.